So, as I said, as a church, our highest value is worship. You guys all understand that, right? Like, when we get together, we're not getting together for a social club. Now, I love that you guys are social. Like, I, you want to know my favorite part of every service? This will sound so stupid. After we finish worship and I say hug each other, like, you guys really do it. Like, you run around the room. Like, it takes five minutes. It's like you're long-lost friends. I love that there's that kind of intimacy in community at our church. That is flowing out of a connection with Jesus, though. Because we worship him together, we connect, and we build our hearts more deeply together. So as I was studying this week, um, I came across a few different thoughts that I want to share with you. And in the end of this service, I want to talk again some about some things that I've learned about worship, things that I think will help you to grow in your own value of worship, like what you think about it, how you can actually practically approach worship in a way to grow, to become a, a more intimate worshiper of God. Because I know this, if you're not musically inclined, you can't sing, and you don't like the style of the music, you will think the front end of service is kind of like not cool. Now some of you, I'm not going to say that out loud, but that's how, people, that's how I felt when I got saved. I thought the music was really, really hokey. And then I started to realize that God is in this. Like we're worshiping the king of the universe and, and the style of the music didn't make, make that much of a, of a difference compared to where my heart was when I came in to sing out to him and to honor him and to worship him. So when I say worship's our highest value, what I'm really saying is this, when you come in, it shouldn't be gauged by how well somebody sings or doesn't sing, how well they play or, or oh, they picked my favorite song this week. This is what I know. You guys are all laughing because you know what I'm telling. Listen, there are worship teams that will look at the like top 40 worship songs and they'll only pick sets from those. You know why? Because if they do them, y'all will sing. You'll sing. But are you worshiping if you're singing? I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. What I do know is this, that when you quiet your heart and you focus in on God, whether it's the lyrics of the song or your own intimate time with God, that is an expression of worship that goes far beyond the top 40 list. Can somebody please say amen to that? Because I know that's the truth. So as I was studying and reading, I came across this quote just to enter into this morning. It says, it says this, this is John Wimber. He said, God is easy to please, but he is almost never satisfied. You know, I, and I, gotta, I gotta admit, when I came across it, I just sat with it for a while because I thought God is easy to please. And you ever heard this say, just come just as you are. You ever heard that in church? Yeah. Come just, that's, God is easy to please. He doesn't really care how you come. Like I seen some of y'all with bedhead. You walk in the room, I'm like, you should have spent some time in the mirror. I'm just saying. But he doesn't care how you show up. But I do know this, that once you do show up, you guys know that the game changes? You know that if you come to God, like, tell me if this has ever happened to you. You come to God and you're like, whoo, God, I got this thing and I'm going to offer it to you. Like, I'm going to give up my time and I'm going to work with the kids. Here's my offering, God. He says, good. I want you to lead the whole ministry. What? Come on. You ever had this happen? I'm just going to show up and do this little bitty thing. And God says, that's good. But I want a little bit more from you than that. He would say this, that I'm easy to please. I just want you to come. But the goal for God is always bringing you glory to glory, to conform you, watch, into the image of Christ. That's his goal. So when we gather together to worship, that is what it is. Now, now Hebrews has something to say about this. The writer of Hebrews, and this will be up on the screen for you all. This is Hebrews 12, 
verses 28 and 29. It says, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Hello, the kingdom of God cannot be what? Shaken. Sh can't be shaken. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable servants with reverence and with awe. Watch, for our God is what? Yeesh. See, God is satisfied with whatever, or, 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 or happy with whatever you bring. Never satisfied. Because he's always about refining us and bringing us into a deeper, more intimate place. Now, now some of you are going like, I don't like that, man. I thought I was doing pretty good. Let me help you. You are. You are. Say, I'm doing okay. Doing okay. Messed up a little last week, but I'm doing okay. You know, I'm just saying. You're doing okay. But you've got to understand this thing about God. God wants all of you. Not most of you, not some of you, not part of you. He wants how much of you? Because he's a consuming fire. So when we talk about this, this idea of worship, what I'm really starting to discover is that most of us worship God in our comfort level, but we don't worship him beyond that. Does this make sense? I'm, I'm good to worship God with what I'm comfortable offering, giving time, money, service, doesn't matter what it is. But beyond that, we often don't want to necessarily listen to what God might be actually asking of us. See, and th this is what I found with God. Tell me if this is not true for you guys also. That, that God is often answering questions for me that I'm not asking. That's why I'll prove it to you in a second. Don't worry. He's often answering questions for me that I'm not asking. Now, now watch. Tell me if you've ever gone to God and you've done one of these things. Oh, God, my kids. My kids, God, those kids, you, what about my kids, God? You ever done this with God? How many of you are parents? If you're a parent, you've done this. And then you ever had God answer something like, I want to talk to you about your time, but God, we were talking about my kids. And he says, no, no, no. I want to answer the question you're not asking. I want to talk to you about your time. Oh, God, my boss. Whoo, my, anybody got one of those bosses? If you work for me, you better not. Raise your hand. I'm just saying. But you, you, oh, God, my boss, this guy, he's a knucklehead. He's so hard to work for. You're going to do all that. And then God says, hey, I want to talk to you about humility. Ugh. I'm like, I'm plenty humble. <laughs> That's, you know, see, the truth is, the conversations that we're having with God, a lot of times he's answering the questions we're not asking. So you got to know he's doing this with worship also. And what he's wanting us to be asking him is, God, what do you ask of me? What do you want from me? What is the thing that I'm offering that you're pleased with, but you're not fully satisfied yet? You guys hear what I'm saying? See, and you got to know something. Like, when I preach to y'all, God doesn't leave me alone with stuff. Like, I wish he was that nice to me. Like, I wish he would just kind of like, you can go preach it and be funny, and, but you don't have to live any of that. Because he's asking me to ask the exact same, exact same questions I'm placing before you all. What about your time? What about your humility? What, what about how you're managing your own heart? What about what you're offering to me? What about you being willing to listen when I say give a little bit here, go a little bit there, serve a little bit here? See, and I found this, that the most difficult places that I have a challenge doing that are, are when I feel a little bit like somebody's being kind of dumb. You ever seen somebody in a stuck spot and you're like, well, they kind of got there on their own. And then God says, yeah, but go help them. I want to help them. Then they'll think I approve of what they did. You, you guys get understand what I'm saying? See, that's real worship is listening to what God says in the moment. And worshipers have to tune their ears in 
to what God is saying. So uh, Jesus now, there's, you can't teach on worship and not cover John chapter 4. And we're going to look at just the verses. And I just want to talk about some of the human heart stuff and then some practical stuff when we're done with that. But this is a fascinating text, this, this passage. This is the woman at the well. This is a woman who had an immoral lifestyle. But the conversation she's about to have with Jesus sounds very spiritual. Sounds almost worshipful. And when, you, when we look at it, I'm hoping to pull just a couple thoughts out of it that will make you think some about worship. So we're going to pick this passage up in John chapter 4 and verse 9 and 10 is, is where we're going to start. And, and if you want, it's on the screen. You can take a look at this together. It says, therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman for Jews? have no dealings with the Samaritans. So Jesus walks up on the well. He'd just been traveling, and he says, the woman, give me a drink. And this is her response. Why are you talking to me? That's her response. How come you're talking to me? So Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked, for, asked of him, and he would have given you what? Living water. See, there's a conversation God is having asking questions that we may not be asking. You get what I mean? He's answering stuff. He says, you being a Jew, see, that's like us coming to God and saying, Jesus, I'm pretty messed up. Anybody ever said that to Jesus? I hope we all did. When we, none of you walked in perfect. Let me help you out. You walked in, and you knew that there was a need for you to have a, a Savior in your life. See, this is the conversation Jesus is having with her, and, and, and he's saying to her, like, she says, you being a Jew, how can you talk to me? I'm a Samaritan. I'm from the, like, the people across the tracks. And he's saying, but I want to talk to you about something. And then it goes on in verse 11, and it says, she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well's deep. Where then do you get this living water? You are not greater than, than our father Jacob, are you? who gave us this well, and he drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will what? Thirst again, okay. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them shall never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a well of spring welling up to eternal life. Sir, you have nothing to draw with. Man, you ever said this to God? I don't have any skill. Like, like, you ever had God ask you to give something to him? My, come on, help me out, church. You guys are kind of boring me right now. Have you ever had God ask you to do something that was out of your ability? Hello, pastor of church, hello? I mean, you know, yeah, he, he does this with us all the time. And he says this, this is a journey of faith. Let's engage each other together. And this is like the woman going, you don't even, how are you going to get the water? You got nothing to do it with. How am I going to get the water? I got nothing to do. That's how we come to God often. God said, I don't want you to figure out the how-to, just the yes. I'm just looking for the yes. I want you to agree what, it, what I'm doing in you. You have nothing to draw with. And Jesus, I, I'm not skilled enough to do this. I've said this to God many times. I'm not, I'm not good enough at this. Now, mind you, I'm a, I'm a type 8. I'm a challenger. Remember I just told you guys that? The world is meant to be conquered. I can conquer anything, but not if I'm not good at it. Am I talking to anybody? I can't do this. And you know what God says? I'm not looking for your skill. I'm looking for your heart. I'm just looking for your willingness to say yes to me. You know, over and over the years, what I've learned about my own life is that when I say yes to God, he meets me at the point of need. Now, now listen, I know I've done things that other people probably looked at and thought, I could have done it better. And maybe they could have. But I also know this, I did it. 
and I therefore got rewarded by God for saying yes. That's what I'm encouraging you all to. Don't say no when God knocks on the door of your heart and says, you should step into this thing. And she says, you're not greater than our father Jacob. You, you know, she's making an, an, an association with somebody that's great. You know, that's like us. Tell me if this happens to you all. You come to God with this idea of like your history, where you came from. How many of you guys, well, maybe they're sitting next to you, but without raising your hand, how many of you have a messy family? Do you got a messy family? Okay, yeah. <laughs> like they're sitting. See, we come with messy families. We come from history is the point. And you know that, that God doesn't care the history that she came from. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Jacob is supposed to be the head, the, the patriarch of both of our family lines. And Jesus says, I don't really care about that. You're making excuses, woman. That's kind of what he's saying. You ever made excuses, woman or man? Do not honor God with what he's asking you to do. See, and that's what you're seeing, some of the family dynamic. And you're not greater. Jesus, you're not more powerful than my thoughts about me, are you? See, listen, why am I poking at that? Because sometimes your thoughts about you are not God's thoughts about you. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes your thoughts about you are not God's thoughts about you. And God wants you to have his thoughts about you. And watch, tell me if this ain't true, church. If you have thoughts about you, they're usually worse than what you actually are in God's eyes, not better. Like, I know there's a few of you in the room, you struggle with pride, you think you're all that in a biscuit. But <laughs> the majority of you in the room, this has been my experience, you don't think very highly of yourself at all. Most of you don't think much of yourself at all. You don't think you're very smart. You don't think you're very pretty or handsome. You don't think you're skilled. You don't think you have the ability to do the thing that God is asking you to do. And you make every excuse. I didn't do well in school. I'm not very coordinated. I'm not very athletic. I'm not very smart. I don't understand the Bible. I would come and pray, Pastor, but it intimidates me. And I don't want to pray out loud. What if somebody thinks I sound stupid? Listen, I've heard it all. I've, heard, I've literally heard it all over the years. We come with every reason for why not to just say yes to God. Well, you're not greater than Jacob, our father, are you? She's making an argument. She's deferring the whole time. And it goes on, and it says this in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty, nor, nor come all the way here to draw it. So remember this. Anytime God is talking to you, there's a spiritual discussion happening and a natural one. Say this with me. God talks to me spiritually, but sometimes I only hear it naturally. He talks to me spiritually, but sometimes I only hear it naturally. I want you to go serve the homeless. I don't like dirty people on the streets. I want you to go serve the kids. Oh, kids are gross. They're like they're slobbery. I, you know, look, we can come up with every excuse. Every excuse under the sun for what God asks versus what we do. Because he's asking us to do things spiritually, and often we're responding naturally. See, when we do that, we miss the opportunity to move with him in worship. That's all it is. So, so this is about growing in our understanding that this conversation God has with you is spiritual. It's spiritual. It's not natural. In the natural, almost all of the time, it will be impossible to some extent. It will be beyond your ability to accomplish it. Am I telling the truth, church? Help me out. You guys are like, yeah, he's telling us. He's counseling us. You feel like a dad this morning, Pastor. That's how you guys are looking at me right now. And I'm just trying to help you think a little bit. God has a conversation with us spiritually. And a lot of times we're listening to it naturally. 
So she says to him, you know, geez, sir, I will not be thirsty nor have to come all this way to draw. So she's thinking naturally. Jesus is talking about eternal life, and she's thinking, I hate having to walk here in the middle of the day. Come on. She's having a natural response. It goes on. It says, he said to her, go call your husband, verse 16, and have him come here. He's about to bust her, isn't he? If you've ever read this story, Jesus is about to drop some laundry right here is what he's doing. About to expose the woman. The woman said, she answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, you said correctly. And the one whom you're with now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. See, see, listen, Jesus starts to dig a little deeper, and now he's getting at the root of the spiritual conversation. Do you guys understand this? By the way, he's doing the same thing with y'all. Doing the exact same thing. Listen, this principle or pattern of how Jesus behaves never changes. And, and yeah, I don't got one amen. You guys should be way more excited about that. He doesn't leave you alone. And you're like, stop bugging me. No, no, no. I'm not finished with you. This is about love. This is not about corrections. He's so often, we hear stuff like this and we think, he's trying to shift me and change me and he's trying to correct me. No, he's not. He's loving you. He's trying to help you fulfill your destiny because there's a fullness of joy that comes when you're in the place God wants you to be. And a lot of times we don't understand that. We just, we think that God is asking of us something we can't give and God says, no, you're thinking naturally. I need you to think spiritually. I can do great things through your life. If you'll just say yes. Great things. Like, like sometimes I, I wonder, I, like I, I, you know, I'm one of those weirdo guys. Like I think rewards, by the way, you should think rewards too. When you get to heaven, you know that God is the rewarder. You guys know that about him? Some of you are like, oh, I'm all noble. I just get to heaven. I'm going to float around and sing kumbaya to Jesus. No, no, you're not. When you get to heaven, there's going to be a reward involved which means there's stewardship involved. Like somebody asked me, what do you think heaven is? Do we float around and sing like worship songs all day? No, I don't think that. I don't think the Bible alludes to that either. I think the, the, the scriptures talk about being responsible for arenas and areas. I think you're going to be rewarded. I, listen, some of y'all are going to be my gardener. No, I'm playing. <laughs> I'm playing. But, but the reality is this. God is going to reward you based on how you steward today's life, on what you do with today's life. So how important is it to say yes to God? See, listen, listen. Some of you are thinking naturally, temporally. It will cost me time or energy or money or I won't be able to get that thing if I give or, or whatever it is. And God is saying, but you don't know what you're missing out on. You're investing in something you can't see yet. That's what's going on. And, and many of us miss this. I mean, I do too. Please understand. We're all in this like time-space continuum called humanity, right? We're all trying to figure out God, discern him. Can somebody please say amen? You guys are like, yeah, yeah we're trying to figure out what God is doing and move with him. That's the goal of being a, a person of faith, that you're trying to discern how God is moving, what he's speaking into your life. And she's still thinking naturally, I won't have to come get any water. And she looks at Jesus and says, man, I think, I think maybe you might be a prophet or something, because how do you know all of this stuff about me? Jesus goes a little deeper, and she starts to recognize the conversation is spiritual. So all along, she's been having a natural conversation, watch, with the God of the universe. Listen to me. So are some of you. <laughs> 
You're telling Jesus all the reasons you can or won't or your family history, all the things that stop you. I'm not smart enough. I don't have an education. I don't have a degree. I don't have position. I don't have authority. Nobody likes me. Nobody listens to me. Man, maybe you should take a shower, put on some cologne. Maybe people like you more. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm teasing completely. But what I am saying is this, that sometimes we are stuck in our own thoughts, not God's. We're not stuck in what God is saying about us. We're stuck in what we say about us or what people around us have said about us. Oh, man, I, this is, I'll tell you what I'm telling on myself right now. There are so many times I have said this with, with people that I've tried to help you, and I'm like, and I've said this, they'll never get it. And every time I do it, God says, stop it. Because you see something in the natural doesn't mean that's what I see in the spiritual. It's not. See, this blows me away. God sees us completed, you guys. He sees you completed. He doesn't see you half done. He sees you seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's how he sees you. He sees the finished work, not the thing in process. And sometimes we've got to give ourselves a little bit more grace, a little bit more belief, a little bit more that God is doing something larger than we can see or feel. Jesus goes a little deeper, and she recognizes the conversation is spiritual. Verse 20 says, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that Jerusalem is a place that we ought to worship. Now the conversation turns distinctly spiritual. You guys getting this? She now understands she and Jesus are having a conversation about religion, if you will, that's about to turn into a conversation about faith. Okay, watch, watch. We worship on this mountain. You say it's Jerusalem. Verse 21, Jesus said, said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus just leveled the playing field. There's not lots of roads to God, the Jews. So the Samaritans were arguing we're better. That's all. He just laid, it, laid down the foundation. Salvation's from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is. In other words, there's a change. Something just shifted when true worshipers, are you a true worshiper? Yeah, we hope so anyways. Watch, we'll worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Our fathers worshiped. Man, tell me if you've ever said this. Jesus, I've got history, my family. Like if I make a decision to follow you, you don't know the fallout I'm going to experience. If I say no, that I'm not going to go to this family event because everybody's partying and drinking and, and I don't really want to, because I have this faith in you now, they're all going to judge me. If I say, no, I don't want to be a part of this thing, or like I remember my family, like I'll tell the story real. In my family, it was this. I grew up in a Catholic household, which, by the way, I don't, nothing wrong with Catholics. Some of them really love Jesus. My household, that was not true. It was about going through a religious service, going to church on Sundays. There was not an understanding of Jesus. Like I never can say that I actually knew who Jesus was growing up. I knew that God was big and scary, and we went to church every Sunday so that he wouldn't be quite as scary. That, that was my experience. That's how we did it. So I, I grew through this whole thing trying to understand, God, what are you doing? And then I come face to face with Jesus, and I discover he loves me. I discover that he actually wants to be part of my life. He wants to be my Lord, my friend. And, and I remember when this started to happen, my, my sister lived next door to my parents. My, my dad's like the staunch Catholic dude. 
and my sister is now going to a Calvary Chapel. So she invites my dad to go, and he goes. By the way, for a, a traditional old Italian Catholic dude, that's a big deal. They don't, that's like wrong. You don't go into that environment. So he goes to a church in West Covina. How many of you guys heard of Raul Reese? This is a million years ago. His church was being in West Covina. He walks in for like a Wednesday night service. He sits down, and if you've ever been to Raul's church, he goes off on the Catholics. Oh, man, he just lit them up. And my dad's sitting there. My dad got up in the middle of the service, walked out. Dead serious. There are like 2,000 people in the room. He gets up and he walks out right in the middle of service. Then he gets home and he says to my sister, he's sitting at the dinner table with my sister, and he's tapping like my dad started tapping. It was like, uh-oh. <laughs> he's tapping. He goes, I don't, I don't like everything that guy said. And he's tapping. You're like, oh, man, he's about to blow up, man. He's tapping. <laughs> don't like everything that guy said. But I like that he taught the Bible. And he's tapping. I'm like, well, okay, this is different. And I remember my sister saying, like, I didn't know how daddy was going to respond. I didn't know if he was going to say, you're never going there again. Instead, the way my dad responded, about two weeks later, he went with her again. Okay? And about 20 years later, all the way to his death, he was there every Wednesday, every Sunday morning, and every Sunday night. But on his deathbed, if you said, dad, are you a Catholic? He'd be, yep. If you said, Dad, when was the last time you set foot in a Catholic church? He'd be like, I don't remember. And I watched God change him because there was a real conversation happening about his family line. He knew that when he made that decision that all of his relatives who lived on the East Coast were all going to light him up, and they did. And it built, brought this like huge polarization in the family that he had to make a decision to honor God. So you telling me that's not what she's experiencing right now? Our father's on this mountain, your father's on that mountain. Jesus, I don't care where your fathers are from. I'm interested in people's hearts who want to worship me. True worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. You'll stand up against the tide and say yes to God when the opportunity to say yes to him come. Our fathers worshiped. I've got history. We all have history. See, listen to me, church. I love you. I'm going to say something really direct. You have to resolve the issue with your family line. You have to, to be a worshiper. You can't let your family steer how you decide to honor Jesus. Listen to me, you will get pushback for it. You will. Invite them, bring them. Some of you are like, not in my family. My family, most of your families, if you decide to walk with God, you'll get criticized, judged, and if it's religious, you'll be told that you're in a cult or something wrong. That's how it'll go. You have to resolve the issue with who, who, to whom you're going to give worship. Will it be your family or to God? Now listen, I'm not saying dishonor your family. Please don't hear me say that. What I am saying is you've got to put God first. You've got to put God first. That is part of the tension of being a worshiper and walking with God. You know, so, so now I'm going to take this down a little deeper and just talk to you all. You guys okay with that? Um, because what, what, something that I'm learning about, about myself as a leader, as a pastor, is that um, there, there are things that God has walked me through over the years, and some of them he's walked you through as well, and some of you he's walked you through further than he's walked me. But some of the things that, that I have had the privilege of um, learning, I think are valuable for you. And, and I don't want to preach a, 
like follow my life, but at the same time, I want to preach follow my life. Um, and sometimes I've, heard, I've had people say, say that, you know, hey, that's really wrong. And, and Paul didn't think that was wrong. Paul said, you've had a lot of teachers, but you've only had a few fathers. You should imitate me. That's what Paul said about it. I'm not saying imitate everything about me. I'm a knucklehead sometimes. I don't want you to copy those parts. But I do want you to learn something about becoming a worshiper that just from my own life. And none of what I'm doing right now, or last week for that matter, is intended to be exhaustive. Just nuggets. Hopefully some of them will touch kind of where you live. Maybe they'll speak life into the circumstances that you find yourself facing. And so as I say that, the number one thing is you've got to understand that worship is spiritual. It's, it's not talent on the stage. It's not um, a song you like or don't like, a style you like or don't like. Worship is about you coming in as a worshiper intent on connecting with God. See, see when you come in and you say, I don't like the worship, can, can I say something really direct? It'll probably be a little rude. It's not about you. Not about, last time I checked, we were coming to give service to God, not ourselves. Now, the exchange is beautiful. When we worship him, he meets with us. Amen? But let me help you out. It's not about you. When you come, I don't like this song. I'm not singing it. The word, I've heard it all. Over the years, I've heard it all. And I just kind of sit back sometimes, and I think, man, true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. They push through how good it sounds or doesn't sound, the style, the songs. Listen, I understand that there's wisdom on our behalf to be sensitive and thoughtful with how we, I mean, like I can blast you out of the room. I can make it so loud you don't want to stay in the room. It's smart for us to attend to that sort of stuff. But it's also smart for you to come in and tend to worship. Because listen, it's not about you. And I'm not trying to be mean because it is you and Jesus. I get that. But when you come to worship, this is about honoring God, not yourself. Now, there, hopefully you like some of the stuff we do. I hope you do. Hopefully you sense the Spirit's presence, which I think we have a good sense of the Spirit's presence. But I also want to say to you, remember, when you come, you're coming to worship God, not yourself. So in my experience, being disciplined is one of the most difficult things in walking with God. I mean, we find it in our natural lives. How many of you have been on a diet? How many are on a diet right now? Come on. We all have a goal. I'm going to be the skinnier version of the fat me. You know, come on. That's, you know, in the beginning of the year is the worst of all of it. The beginning of the year, we set all sorts of resolutions. I'm going to go to the gym every day. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray 20 minutes every morning. And then a month goes by and you're like, I think I'll go get a burger and fries and call my friend. I'm not, you know, it's like, we just throw it all out the window because being disciplined is not easy. Listen, being a disciple, watch, practicing the disciplines of Jesus is not easy. And what's cool about God is he doesn't look for you to be all like, oh, I'm all regimented. Some of you are wired that way. That's fine. Some of you, you know how you're wired? I'm going to go hike the side of a mountain and talk to Jesus. That's cool. Go hike the side of a mountain and talk to Jesus. And I'm being really serious. I connect to God in nature. I really do. But I also connect with him on my sofa every morning. I go out, I sit down and talk to God every morning. Sometimes the conversations are a few minutes. Sometimes they're a few hours. But I do it very consistently. And so I want to encourage you. You've got to practice a discipline to grow as a worshiper. That is how you discover 
who God is and how watch how you get breakthroughs because we all are wanting to grow more Christ-like. And the challenge is, is that we want the fruit of the, dis the discipline without the discipline. I want a six-pack. I do. It's under there. I'm sure it is. But I don't get on the ground and do sit-ups every day. I don't. So what's the likelihood of me getting that? Not good. So, so again, just some keys. Some keys. Maybe some of these will apply. Maybe some won't. Here's the first one. So number one, worship is a choice. It's a choice. God doesn't force us to worship. He does mandate it. So you understand, he calls us to be worshipers of him and him alone. In the first week, I shared this with you, everybody worships something. I had somebody say to me, I don't worship nothing. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. And I just looked at him, I said, that's your worship. Your worship is that your thought is the highest thing that you value in your life. That is your worship. Everybody worships something. We were made to be worshipers. Worship's a choice, though. Listen, God gave you a free will. He doesn't force you. He didn't want robots. He wanted a love relationship with his kids. I don't want my kids to, to honor me because I'm their dad. I want them to honor me because I love them, and they love me in turn. That's what God desires from us. See, worship is a choice. Worship is about him. It's not about you. He does not need our worship. Watch. He wants it. Listen, the mere heavens declare the glory of God. The earth is handiwork. If, if you don't worship him, the rocks cry out. You get what I'm saying? He doesn't make you or need you to worship him. He wants you to. He wants you in relationship with him. He wants you bowing your heart before him. It's about love. It's not about if you don't do this, I won't like you. It's about a relationship of love. So the first thing is this, worship is a choice. And you make the choice. You choose when you get here. You choose what you sing, how exuberant you are. You know, like I was watching worship this morning and I was kind of like, man, no one's really all that engaged this morning. Now, maybe you were, maybe you were just quietly engaged because it's cold outside. But from an outward expression of our church, the amount of voices that I hear singing, I thought, they're not all that engaged this morning. Now, I don't know why. You know, maybe you had a rough morning. Maybe, maybe it's like what I shared last week. It was all to do to just drag yourself through the door, like you barely got here. Maybe for some of you, you just didn't make a choice. Maybe you didn't make a choice. I want to encourage you to make a choice. When you come, make a choice to worship him. Here's the second thing, the second thing. You ready? Come ready to worship. You're like, what do you mean, Pastor? Come ready to worship. You should be some, doing something before you get here. You're like, you, I should? That's revolutionary to me. Well, you're the pastor. You should. No, we all should. See, because when you come with your heart prepared, you enter in. You engage differently. See, this is what I know. When we come in, like, like I get that there's times that life beats the snot out of you, and you're just like, I'm barely here. Then get whatever is coming your way. But there's other times where you have all the time in the world, all the energy in the world, and you simply choose not to say, God, would you make me ready? So that, watch, when I walk in the door, I can be an encouragement to you, and I can be an encouragement to you. And maybe somebody's going to speak some wholeness into me. And as we commune, as the, as the fellowship, the gathering together, that we share this faith with one another, and we build each other in the most holy faith. Does this make any sense at all? That doesn't happen if you walk in going, man, I hope somebody does something for me today. 
But if you go, God, I'm here, I'm coming, I want to be a vessel today, I want to receive from you, but I also want to give back, that's way different. See, man, when I come into church, I come in anticipating that God is going to touch somebody. So what does that mean when you're at home? Take a few minutes. God, how do you want to use me today? That's a really good prayer. And watch, you should listen after you ask that. I've so many times I've had God give me a verse in the morning. I'm like, why that verse? That's like kind of, why that verse? Just, you know, why? And then somebody will start telling me a story at church, and I'm like, this morning, dude, I was reading this. This is for you all, all the time because I prepared before I came. I was ready to worship. But, I mean, the, the, the psalm says this. We, we sang joyfully as we entered into the gates. We came together to worship, and I think, we entered joyfully to get a cup of coffee and a donut. I tease y'all, but it's the truth. I told you guys, food is spiritual. I get it. Like, you guys connect in there, you talk, you pray, nothing bad. We wouldn't have it if I thought it was ungodly, but it's not as good as worshiping the king. It's not. It's just not. So I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying do both. Do both. Come ready to worship. How prepared are you when you come to church? If our hearts are ready, then we are ready. God invites us. He does not force us. He invites us to be part of it. It is not the worship leader's job to get you into worship. It's yours. Took me years to learn that. It's not Kevin's job or Vic's job, Santosh, my girls, my brother Steve. It's none of those folks' job to get you into worship. It's their job, listen, to put out the welcome mat. It's your job to knock on the door and walk through it. That's the truth. And what's the pressure today, man, this is way off the cuff. Okay, so the pressure today for worship leaders to bring something that is beyond what they are actually called to bring. I'm pointing at Vic, he's there, Kevin's back there, because they are charged with this like, can I rally the troops to get them I, I, listen, there should be energy in worship. I'm not dismissing any of that. But it's not their job to get you there. It's yours. It's your job. It's your job to come in as a worshiper. It's your job to come in ready to not only receive and offer blessing to God, but also to serve each other. That's your job. Again, things I've learned over the years. Come ready to worship. This one is huge. You ready? Thanksgiving brings release. I love y'all. Some of you are Eeyore Christians. Stop it. Everything's negative. The sky's always falling. There's something always wrong. God is always failing. He's never coming through. I'm waiting too long. You know, you don't like you when you're like that, and neither do other people. I'm being straight up with y'all. You've got to have a sense of gra graciousness, a sense of gratitude, a sense of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving brings a release. It, it, it communes our spirit with God's spirit. Watch, watch, Thanksgiving. This is what Paul said to the Thessalonians. He said, rejoice always. How often? Always. Rejoice is worship, by the way. It means to celebrate the joy of salvation. That's what that word means. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. How often? All the time. Watch, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything? everything. Man, I'll I, I'm not going to lie. I struggle with the everything. I'm not going to lie. My car breaks down. I'm like, oh, praise you, Jesus. The radiator blew. I don't do that. I don't. 
Actually, that did recently happen, and as a testimony to God, the radiator blew, and this is what I thought. I'm so grateful, God, that you gave our church Financial Peace University, because I have the money to pay for that. that I'm, God is my witness. That is actually what, so it cost me a few hundred bucks, an hour or so underneath the car. I fixed it myself, but it was, I had it. I had it, because our church discipled us and had a steward money. It was beautiful. So Thanksgiving, so I, I wasn't happy that the radiator blew, but I was thankful that I wasn't broke, <laughs> that I had the money to pay for it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Thankfulness brings a release. It, listen, thank, Thanksgiving, it'll break off bitterness. If you've got a bitterness going on with you, you need to start talking to God. It breaks off bitterness. It changes your heart. The more that you agree with bitterness, as you think in your, your heart, you become, you think too much that things are negative, you will live like life is negative. I understand the battle. I understand it. But we are called to be people of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving pushes us into faith, pushes us into belief. It takes us out of the circle of our own frustration and says, God, I trust you. I trust you. You can make a way where there's no other way. That's what thanksgiving pushes you into faith. Thanksgiving will also do this. It'll build on your testimony. Like, you ever thanked God for something that hasn't happened yet, and then he does it? Whoo! You're like, guess what? <laughs> You're like, guess what God did? That is what Thanksgiving does. You start to thank him for provision. You start to thank him for restoration. You start to thank him for reconciliation. You thank him for forgiveness and wholeness and all the things. And some of them you may not fully be living in yet. But it goes something like this. I mean, just to illustrate for you, it goes something like this. God, I thank you that you've given me the strength to come before you and ask for help. God, I need a, I'm, illustration. This is not true of me today, although I've prayed this prayer. My marriage needs help, God. I, I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. We're not understanding each other. But I'm grateful for her. I'm grateful for the woman of God. I'm grateful for the way you've made her and wired her, how it's different than me. God, help me understand her. I've really prayed this really pray this. And you know what happened? I went and stuck flowers on her car. She came home nice. <laughs> I'm being serious though. Like sometimes when you want a release, you've got to do something that's outside. Well, she don't deserve no flowers. Forget her. Well, good. Then stay mad. Stay stupid. But I thanked God for what I saw in her because I knew what I saw was the real her versus my own frustration which some of it she created, some of it she did not. It was mine. Just being honest, she didn't do anything. I was just in a funk. And to get out of the funk, I did something that was tangible that took root spiritual. Does this make sense? Thanksgiving was the key to that. See, if you're always bickering about your spouse, you'll have a negative spouse and a negative marriage. Always bickering about your kids, negative kids, negative relationship with your kids. Does this make sense? Sure. So I'm trying to make this as practical as I can. These are things I've learned about worship, that thanksgiving is a key to release. It brings about a fruitfulness. Um, how about this? Humility. Man, we don't like humility. We want to conquer. Guys, am I talking right now? Not going to be weak to anybody. But let me help you with what the scriptures say, that if you'll humble yourself in the presence of God, he'll lift you up in due season. Sometimes it's about being humble before God. I remember saying to God, this like situations, this is broken, I can't fix it, God. I don't know what to do. 
need your wisdom. I need your direction. I, I need clarity. I'm, I'm bowing my heart before you so that you'll help me not be prideful or stubborn or, or angry or, or whatever might be rumbling in your own heart. Just honesty with God, intimacy with God, humility before him. I can't fix it. He can. Does this make sense, church? Is this helping at all? Well, that's five of you. That's good. So ask, seek, and knock. Persistence is a key to release. You can't ask once. Like, I, I love y'all. We're the microwave Christian community. I asked Jesus. He didn't do nothing. We get all attitudinal. This is what I see. The, the, oppor- the importunate widow, the, the poor widow that went before the wicked judge, she asked, and then she asked again, and then she asked again, and then she asked a little more, and she asked some more, and finally the wicked judge said, would you please just give her what she's asking for, because she's bugging the heck out of me. Then it goes on to say, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to his children? See, ask, seek, knock. Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 6. He said, you know, knock. It'll be open to you, seek, you'll find. He told us to do this. This is a key to worship. Leaning into him, not leaning on yourself. See, when we do this, we, we've got to remember that God is in the business of giving good gifts to us. Now, I know that life is full of challenges. Somebody say amen. Some challenges. Some of you are sitting next to your challenge. I'm just saying. I'm not just saying. There's challenges. Teasing y'all. You know that. Some of you are, are in the middle of difficult things, but you've got to find yourself pressing into a God who actually gives good gifts. This is another thing, intimacy with God. When you think of intimacy, think this way, into me see. Into me see. It's a transparency with God. I don't know about you all, but there's times I go to God and I, I argue my case. Anybody ever argued your case? I don't argue my case with God. And in, in my mind, he's on my side. <laughs> I swear, he is. And then when he's done, when I'm done, like blah, 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 and then God will come alongside me and go, okay, can we talk for real now? Can we, can we be honest with each other now? Because you just lowered me like a man to your level, and I'm going to put myself back in the place of God with you. By the way, I'm crazy about you. I love you. This is not a, a I'm going to spank your butt. This, that's not what I'm doing right now. I'm helping you come up. I'm helping you to see from my, my vantage point, not yours. So I want you to invite me into intimacy. So, so that goes like this for me. God, would you search my heart and know it? What's really going on inside of me? Times I've been upset with things, disappointed, angry over something. God, what's really going on? I've had God tell me stuff like, oh, you're, you're mad at this guy because of what that guy did, and it feels the same. He's not the same. Not the same situation. Go humble yourself and go have a conversation with him. Like, I don't want to do that. That makes me weak, God. And he goes, yeah, and in your weakness, I'm made strong. That's how it works. Principles of life, Scripture. We don't want to be vulnerable with people, but when you're vulnerable with God and he leads you to where he wants you to go, our response is to worship him and say yes. This makes sense at all, church? Some of you are like, I got to be honest, some of you got this look on your face like, oh, man, this is going to be hard, pastor. I love you. It, it will. But it'll be freeing. You'll be set at, at liberty. That's the beauty of it. Here's another one, and this one's really, really a big deal. Live in expectancy. Live with the sense that God is for you. He's not against you. Live with the sense of Romans 8.28, that all things do, in fact, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
God is in the business of being good in your life. Now, I don't know about you. I've had some things that were not good. And I've watched God use those bad things to shape his goodness in me. I'll be honest with you. Some of those were not easy. Some of those, there were times I was like, why couldn't you just fix it? I mean, you're God and I'm your favorite, right? (laughs) But sometimes his business is about maturing your heart more than it is giving you the thing that you want. But he always restores. Always. He's in the business of doing that. So it's learning this God. So I live in expectancy. And and here's the challenge with expectancy. God is going to do something. Say that. God is going to do something. I just don't get to tell him what it is. That's the nature of being in expectancy and in relationship with God. We want to tell him what the outcome is. That means you just became God. What you need to do is pray in faith and then let it go to God. And know this, that he's good. He has good plans for you. He's redemptive and restored it. Listen, seek with hunger. Seek with passion. Seek with hunger. Seek with passion. Listen, your spiritual appetite is larger than you think it is. In other words, your inward man needs more of God than what you probably are getting. Does this make sense? Listen, our outward man, when we're hungry, what do we do? We eat. And if we waited too long, we usually overeat because we're like, oh, I'm going to starve to death. You're shoving your face, eating way too much food. Our spiritual appetite is no different. You go long enough starving for God and just saying, don't go long. Fill it. Hunger for him. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be what? Filled. It's his promise. These are all things of worship that I've learned over the years. Now, have I gone cold at times? Oh, my gosh. There have been seasons where I'm not going to lie to you. I've gone through the motions. Listen, I'm going to really tell myself. There's been messages I've preached to you that you guys thought were really good that did not come out of passion. came out of duty. I've got to preach Sunday. got to do my thing. Now, God is faithful, and I love that about him. But I can't tell you my heart's always been right. I try. I'm not going to lie to you. I do try. I do try to keep myself in line with God. Like, I understand the responsibility, the charge of being in the spot I'm in. I do. But there's times I'm just like you. I Man, there's times I had an argument with Heather in the morning. Times that my kids were being, the week was crazy, and then the car breaks down. You're like, oh, and I got to go preach on the goodness of God? Are you serious? But you know what I find? This happens every single time. That when I do it, he changes my heart while I'm telling you about his goodness, and I don't believe it myself. He's changing mine, too. Like, I love it. I preach to myself more than I preach to you all. Some of you are like, he didn't preach very good today. I'm like, that was awesome. <laughs> I learned so much myself. God always works in the teacher before he works in the people through the teacher. It's just how he does things. And so I find myself like, hey, this is really honest, really raw, you know, the, I find myself really honored that God lets me do this because in doing it, it compels me to stay connected to him. I'm going to say that again. Because I have the responsibility over people, it compels me to stay connected to him. So a lot of times when I say to you guys, you need to be serving. You need to be giving your life away. What I'm really saying to you, it'll force you to stay connected. It really does. you got to stand on the stage and lead worship. It forces you to, like, God, what are you up to? 
Got to go help kids? Force you. Got to go hand up both? Force you. Keeps you in the mingling, in the mix of what God is up to. It presses you in. And I feel really, really, you know, sometimes really humbled, really honored that God allows me to do that because there are so many times I study for you guys and God speaks to me about me, unrelated to anything I present to you. Doesn't, it has nothing to do with my sermon. I end up on some bunny trail studying, and I find myself sitting with God going, that's what you're after in my heart. And he goes, yeah. Okay, now you can go back to studying. Thanks. Can I tell anybody? No, that's for you and me. Other times? Yes, it will help them. That's part of the journey. That's why I encourage you all. You've got to be in the mix. It's not only receiving. It's giving yourself away. It said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the last one, and with this, I'm going to ask Kevin to come up. We're going to close with, with worship and opportunity for some of you to get some prayer this morning before we head out. But, huh? <laughs> I thought you were asking a question. Okay, th this is th the most important one in my opinion. Okay, so I gave you a lot of different nuggets, a lot of different, some of them how-tos, some of them principles. But as, as children of God, we have to trust in his person. We have to trust in the nature of God. We, we have to trust in the character of God. We have to trust that all of the, the scriptures as we read them, you see over and over that people moved against God, rebelled against God, left God, and God never, ever gave up on them. You see it over and over and over. I mean, come on, you, you can go from Moses coming out of Egypt and they, they're in the wilderness and the people are being stupid and God says, let's give them some commandments so that they understand what I expect of this spiritual community. And Moses goes and gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down and the people, while he's gone, they make a golden calf, they dance around it. By the way, everybody worships something. Everybody does. Moses gets mad, throws the tablets at him. They bust apart. This time God says, you carved the tablets this time. Bring them up on Sinai tomorrow, and I'll write in them again for you. Worship the Lord. Don't, don't worship idols. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath, etc. All the things that God prescribed us to have good, whole, healthy lives. And, and so Moses, while he's there, he says, God, not enough for me. Not enough for me. Like, I love you, God. But I want your glory. I want to see what gives you weight in the earth beyond this experience that I have with you now. I want to see you face to face. That's what Moses says. Is that bold? Yes. Any of you ever asked to see God face to face? I, I have, and then I thought, maybe not. <laughs> I just, you know, I want to know more of your presence, more of your goodness, face to face. No, because no man can see me and live. I think I'll, like, I got a little bit more to do on earth, I think. I think. So God takes him, and he says, Moses, you can't see me face to face. I'm not going to let that happen. But how about if I hide you in the cleft of the rock, and, and I'm going to let you see the, the backside of my glory. So not even the fullness of God's glory, just the backside of it. And this is what he says. As he passes by Moses, he says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, carrying mercies for thousands of generations, forgiving transgression, iniquity, and sin. Yes, I memorized it, because it's him. That's why. This is who God is. And when we misunderstand who he is, we start to make up a God who's mad. He's angry. 
He's, he's not necessarily seeing us, or we think he's seeing us differently than he actually does. See, and you got to understand this about God. When he sent Jesus, it means that the lens that he looks at you with today is through the blood of Christ, which the blood of Christ removed all of our sin, all of our stain, all of our iniquity, all of our failures. How many of you guys got failures? God said, I, no, you don't. I got them. They're mine now. So you can just give them over to me and stop living like that's your identity. And I started to learn that as I discovered this God who rejoices over me with singing, as I discovered this God who forgives all my crazy thinking, forgives all my crazy behavior, forgives all my wild thoughts about he's against me and he's allowing this to happen, I must ascend. All of the bad thoughts I have about God, he brings me back to this truth over and over. I'm for you, I'm not against you. My nature says this about you, that I love you, not against you. And, and I don't punish my kids the way that you think I punish my kids. I'm for you, I'm the one who rescues you out of the craziness. You know, my feet were stuck in miry clay, but you lifted me up and you set me high on a rock. What God says. So I, I want the guys to take the lights down. I want to read this last passage over you. I want you to listen to this with your heart, if you will. I want you to listen to it with an attentiveness in your heart. Because what I've discovered over many years is that I'm going to fail over and over. And I, and I never desire to. I would think this is probably true of most of you. You don't desire to fail. You don't get up in the morning thinking you're going to do something wrong or break God's heart or hurt your own life. No one does that. No one gets up trying to, you know, wreak destruction in their own life. That's, that's silly. But that happens. We make mistakes. Relationships tank. They crumble. Things are difficult. Money, you make a bad decision. And life can get difficult with stuff like that. But just bow your heads, close your eyes. And, and I just want you to listen. Jeremiah is the prophet who wrote the book of Lamentations. And, and his lament was that he didn't see a release of God. His ministry was 40 years long. And in the 40 years, the people continually rebelled against God. And this is one of the passages he wrote. He says, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. By the way, that word bow down is, is a word for worship. Basically, it's this. I know I've made mistakes, God, but I'm still here. And I'm bowing my heart before you. This I recall to my mind, therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. For his compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. So, Father, I want to pray over us this morning. Those sitting in this room right now, some 
struggling to see you, struggling to hear you, struggling to know you. And with all of our mistakes, God, what you say is that you're for us and you're not against us. That your loving kindness and your compassion is everlasting. It never ceases. And God, I pray that there would be a connecting point with our spirit and yours right now. An understanding of your, your great goodness to each and every one of us. God, I pray for there to be an increase in hope, an increase in, in believing that because God loves us, that there's more to our lives than what we're even experiencing now. You know, just with heads bowed, some of you in the room, you've lost hope. I just really sense this from the Lord that you're kind of going through the motions, but you, you've just lost hope. Like you need God to breathe on you, on your life. You need him to speak possibility. If that's you this morning, I want you to lift your hand. I, I want to pray for you. Just heads bowed. I don't want you guys to make each other embarrassed. You know, I see your hands. There's a lot of you that... really speaking right now and, I, and I'm not trying to be all strange just trying to bring you into an understanding he talks to us God I pray that you would silence the voices right now the lies the ones that say we've gone too far I pray against the idea that that you care about others but you don't see me God sees you Father I pray for a release of direction God I pray for a, a pressing in You know, I just feel like some of you need to give me a little bit of room to pray right now because I'm going to pray a little differently than what you're used to me praying. God, we take authority right now over the lies that have been spoken. God, we take authority over our own selves when we disagree with your truth. God, you said this, that true worshipers would worship you in spirit and truth. So right now, I pray for the little infant child spirit in every person that it would rise up and become mature right now. God, I pray that especially over those of us who have walked in faith for many years and we've just simply lost hope. God, you said that when the thief is caught, we could demand from him sevenfold, and that's what we're doing right now. So where hope was stolen, we pray a restoration sevenfold of hope. God, we pray this over our families. We pray this over our marriages. We pray this over our children, God. Right now we pray that there would be a release of the kingdom of God in each one of our lives, so much so that your authority, your reign, your dominion would shift circumstances this day. 
God, I pray especially for those who raise their hand that today would be a day that would mark a miracle, that they would leave and they would notice a shift. They would walk in and the kid would shift, the job would shift, the marriage would shift, the health would shift, that there would be a noticeable change that would revive hope, that would revive hope. Because God says this over you, you need to listen. I love you. I love you. And I'll do anything for you to help restore you and bring you back into a place of goodness. Oh, the Lord would say some, this to some of you. I'm not trying to be weird right now. I hope you guys are good. What you've sown in tears, you're going to reap with joy. Some of you have really shed tears over loved ones, shed tears over situations. And God is declaring his truth over you that you're going to reap it with joy. Tears are okay, but you're not always supposed to stay sorrowful. But you sow with tears, you'll reap in joy. Spirit, come bring your peace right now. Thank you, over us right now. As a group of people, as a church, there's a grace over us right now. It means there's a favor that God is giving that you did not do anything to get. And some of you with bold faith need to start to ask him to bring back and restore things that were lost, that he would restore vision. need to take this moment and put some loved ones before him. the ministry team to come up right now and we're going to sing this song together and have us just worship our way out of here this morning and some of you as I talk about different things that are going on different places of hope 
Um, you really need a partnership of prayer. You need somebody to believe with you for the situation that you're facing. And maybe I didn't name your situation. That doesn't matter. But you need prayer this morning. So as we stand to worship, I want to invite some of you. Get out of the seat and come up and get prayer. Let them, let them believe with you for what God is doing in this season in your life. So why don't we stand together and let's, let's sing this song together. Let's worship together. But if you need prayer, don't stay in your seat. Don't stay in your seat. Come up. The ministry team will be here. They'll make themselves available and they will pray with you.